Hello, and welcome to the Novus Homo, a semi-weekly series of conversations with the artists, activists, thinkers, and leaders who are redefining queerness in the post-equality era. Today on the Novus, I'm excited to be joined by the brilliant comedian and longtime men's health advocate, Kenny Neil Schultz. I met Kenny several years ago at the Laugh Factory in Los Angeles, where he was one of the headliners at a queer comedy showcase being hosted by the AIDS Healthcare Foundation. During his set, Kenny pulled out a bottle of Truvada and slayed the crowd while singing the praises of PrEP. Afterwards, Michael Weinstein, AHF's famously anti-PrEP CEO, got up and stormed out. It was one of the most impressive instances of speaking truth to power I've ever seen. And I've had a huge gay activist crush on Kenny ever since. More recently, Kenny was part of the team that created the controversial I Like the Party PrEP PSA. We talked a lot about messaging and HIV prevention, PrEP, and of course, the ever-looming AIDS Healthcare Foundation. Without further ado, here's Kenny Neal Schultz. This call is now being recorded. Good morning, Pumpkin, how are you? Oh my god, I'm good. It's so good to hear your voice. How are you? I'm still doing okay. I'm I'm coughing still some, you know, as you know how that is. So, um, pardon me if I'm coughing a bunch in your ear today. I hope I I hope I don't do that too much. I I forgive you in advance. Wait, where are you again? I I always I forgot. Uh, I'm 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 constantly moving. At the moment, I'm in Palm Springs. My mom um, was in a really bad car accident when I was a kid. Uh-huh. And recently she's developed a problem with her sciatica, which is like this nerve in your tailbone. So yeah, no, I know it very well. Uh-huh. Oh, well, my condolences. Um, she's, <laughs> she's been in a lot of pain recently. And so I just got back from Florida, but, um, I wanted to come out here and, you know, help her around the house and clean her kitchen and, you know, I have I have I have very few uh, talents under my belt, but cleaning a kitchen, I'm a fucking ninja at it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. Um, sciatica is brutal, dude. I've um I've never experienced it firsthand. Knock on wood, but I just my heart goes on my poor mom. Like her whole, I feel like my whole adult life, she's been in like, you know, like um about. God, it feels like 10 years ago now, um, uh, she um, experienced more fallout from this car accident that she had when I was a kid. She uh, she had um, a rod in her back and two pins in her hip and in her hips, and um, the, the pins were only supposed to last for two years, and then they were supposed to get replaced. And like 10 years later, they started to deteriorate. And so my mom oh, spent three years in agony, just like unable to walk until she got new hips. Oh God! Like, oh like, poor thing. Jesus, that was a really bad mom. car accident. Yeah, it was really bad. It was really bad. Um, she's, you know, that was a long time ago. She's, she survived, obviously. Yeah. 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 Here to tell the tale. But um, let's talk about you. okay (laughs) all (laughs) righty hey so let's talk about what you're doing right now um (laughs) told me that you were traveling around yeah i mean i'm I'm happy to tell you about i mean it's just you know i we do i do a lot of different stuff and so some of it i mean it's all you know a lot of it's relevant 
to public health, but, you know, I do a lot of adolescent-specific work. You know, I have a lot of Planned Parenthood clients, um, a Planned Parenthood affiliate clients. So um, so I travel around quite a bit uh, in, in New York um, providing uh, sort of digital marketing consulting services to each of these affiliates that sort of um, and encourage them and train them on how to employ a um, community-based participatory approach to garnering affinity for your particular affiliate's brand. So, in other words, we teach teens and the people that work with teens how to create digital content that's fun and compelling for that regional target audience and then um, drive traffic to their social media, social networking services, their Facebook, Instagram, that kind of stuff, so that young people can get a better sense of what Planned Parenthood is and what it isn't because, you know, obviously there's a lot of smear campaign stuff that's, that uh, that people uh, only ever hear about Planned Parenthood and therefore believe and internalize. And, um, and so, but, I, uh, but, 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 you know, yeah. I, I understand they sell live baby on the uh, open market. Is that true? That's right. Yeah, so that's what we try to do is, is to remind people that it's it's not just body parts. It's also just whole babies that are for sale. <laughs> oh, we're going to get angry. The misunderstandings abound, you know, so <laughs> we're here to clear it up. <laughs> you are an excellent person um, to learn the art. Tell me about this prep video that you made with J.D. Phoenix. And for the, for the kids at home who haven't seen it, it is a 37-second spot. It features adult film actor J.D. Phoenix and just a, a couple real-life situations, like a bar at his house, talking about uh, how he likes to party, he likes to play safe, and it shows him using prep. And I think it really is one of the, uh, I mean, obviously, my verbal description doesn't know justice, but it is, I think, the most effective videos to promote Truvada as prep that I've seen so far. Um, I think it's... it's oh, great. wow. Have you seen our um, just uh, just as an aside? Have you seen the the shit gay guys say about prep? It's a very different beast than the uh, the other piece. I, I it's certainly a lot, a lot less inflammatory. I think my favorite part of it is where he says, "So I get to be a big old slut now, right?" You know, and <laughs> and you know, and and I love that because I think you know that is really that is the the, the thing that, that that rises straight to the top when people start thinking about prep. And I think that's why we're having this conversation. That's why um, the Weinstein has done what he's done. I think that, you know, I think that's why there's so much ire that's been generated as a result of this, um, of the development of this amazing medical innovation. It is fascinating to me how pervasive into just the general culture this idea is. Because I've been an HIV advocate for like a decade now, and um, so I'm used to conversations with homosexuals wherein homosexuals express to me that essentially this sex should not be fun, that um, there should be this, like, barrier between you and the other person, that it should, like, you know, that it should be this guilt-ridden weird thing. Ultimately, what it comes down to, (laughs) it seems, is that people are, you know, that that I didn't get to be a big slut, and so you shouldn't either. You know, it's it's, yeah. it's just, it all comes down to 
but you're still not allowed. You're still you, your your sexuality had better remain compromised because that's really what it means to be a gay man. Is sexual your sexuality is expendable? It's not you know it's not normal or right anyway, and so you better just be happy to have sex with condoms and nothing else for the rest of your life, or you know or we'll just we'll shun you you know. Um, and then you're, you know, you're no longer in the good graces of the HIV prevention community, the holy, holy HIV prevention community. <laughs> Shaft of light, choir of angels. It's very easy, especially when you're in a, like a like an, a, a nearly entirely gay world as I am, that to like completely forget that straight people exist or have an opinion. Right. And I was talking to some girls that um, uh, I went to high school with. And they have this this um, this sex positive feminist group on Facebook that they invited me to join. These are all badass girls, like tough, chill, beautiful SoCal girls. And um, I got into a conversation with one of them, and she very confidently and without hesitation was telling me uh, about the problem of the culture of barebacking in the gay community, and. I was completely without words. I was dumbfounded. Like, this is in the context of a conversation about PrEP and how PrEP is like the pill. And she, uh-huh. like, nodded along until, like, oh, yeah, but, you know, like, gay men still should not use condoms. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Says who? Like, what? Right. Why, why are you invested in this conversation? <laughs> um, and just the 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 casual... <laughs> acceptance of this idea among otherwise very liberal sex positive mm-hmm. women is mm-hmm. that um the lot of gay men is to is to wrap it up or die yep. that's right <laughs> those are your choices <laughs> well cake or death <laughs> right um right <laughs> that's very chilling <laughs> yeah no, it's true. And I, I mean, it's always especially galling when straight people, um, wait, you know, decide to, to, to grace us with their ever important perspectives on how we should be living our lives. You know, I mean, it's been that way forever. You know, I mean, I remember in the nineties just saying I was going on a date, you know, and some rando straight coworker would be like, be sure and use condoms. You know, like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Um, you know, I got this. Thank you. I'll I'll go ahead. It's like telling manage. somebody who's sick to drink orange juice. It is, and yet it's there's something much more egregious about it. I mean, gay men's sex lives have been everybody else's business for as long as I can remember. You know, yeah. either because it's it's aberrant, it's you know, and we're perverted and we're damaging the culture or because, you know, it's irresponsible because we're spreading a disease. And I mean, I remember once wearing a, a T-shirt that said, fuck safe and shoot clean. It came from the, uh, the Lower East Side Needle Exchange, um, which, you know, was obviously a very important project in the 90s. And, you know, their whole thing was fuck safe and clean your needles, right? And this woman stopped me on the street. Now, you know, I mean, I was a very ardent um, HIV prevention activist at the time, so I, of course I was wearing this shirt on an Austin street, um, you know, out loud crowd. But she stopped me and she says, excuse me, what does your shirt mean? Because I think she had thought that 
she she misinterpreted it to read fuck it, you know, fuck safe. Just shoot uh your load, right, you know, or something. And she took, you know, personal offense and she you know proceeded to lecture me uh, and I was like, dude, you you know, I, I actually work for aid services of Austin, like, um and it's none of your business. I mean, yes, I am wearing a t shirt, but you know, I mean I'm not commenting on your cankles, so that's as much my business as my t shirt is yours. Um there's this sort of accepted you know, I mean, this, I, I see a lot of heterosexual white women entering public health. Off the record, there's a term that a, a, a colleague in, of mine and I use to describe a particular, this particular girl who is straight out of public health school and who shows up on the scene at some public health entity, you know, or at the DOH or something. And, it, you know, it's just this unbelievable, privileged, out-of-touch, white super liberal public health girl, we called them PHWGs, public health white girls, because they were such a type. They were the worst know-it-alls, you know, and they'd be in meetings saying like, you know, I just don't know how we're going to get, you know, how do we get these guys to keep using condoms? You know, well, okay, you know, we're not a science project and, you know, nor are we, a, you know, a, a tribe in some untouched um, virginal part of, you know, the rainforest that's never been exposed to your brilliance. Uh, right. You're fucking a grad. But, like, you know, like, but, and also I'm sitting right fucking here. So, and, you know, it, there are, there, it, you know, there are so, so many, so profoundly so many more social determinants that impact the decision to use condoms than simply whether or not you like it. Right. Or you think it should be this way because you have a master's in public health, uh, you know, which, my, which in your mind is, is tantamount to a, a badge that you get to brandish whenever, you know, so you can tell people what they should be doing. And, and I think gay men are really fucking tired of it. You know, it's been this way forever. We've never really been allowed to develop our own risk portfolio. We've never been allowed to think about, um, you know, to think of, to take charge of our own sexuality, to be in charge of our own status. You know, like every time we go to get a test, they say, oh, it's negative for now. But, you know, if you've had sex in the last six months, you know, uh, you know, be, be aware that this may not be an accurate test result. So go back to doing exactly what you were doing before you came in here. But be sure and keep coming back in here because we need the numbers. Um, you know, so, so, the, so we've never been in charge of our status. We don't get to be in charge of our actual behaviors. Um, and PrEP, I think, is seen as, it's a, you know, it's a very tangible threat to the paradigm that has existed for so long, which is we will tell you what to do. You just be good little boys and do it, or you're a bad boy and you to cross over into this treasure island skull and crossbones world of barebacking, right? And I'm sorry, but I, I still maintain that it was the that it was the irresponsibility of HIV prevention in the first place that created an underground community of barebackers, people who defied this black and white guidance to use a condom every time or just don't have sex to say, well, that's just not a tenable solution for me, you know. And had we supplied some, like, a hierarchy of risk um, to people, which was our job as HIV prevention specialists, you know, to say this is high risk, this is low risk, and this is the risk associated with everything in between. But instead, we equated oral sex with anal, unprotected anal intercourse and said use a condom to have oral sex as if that were realistic at all. 
And, you know, and we created the sense that, 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 that there's just absolutely no way of protecting yourself from this virus unless you just stop having sex entirely, you know. Uh, you know, it's, it really has more to do with the lack of actual primary prevention messaging that existed in the 90s. Um, because primary and secondary prevention were blended um, at the time. Not only was prevention not very well funded, but at the time, you know, this is before HEART, um, you know, uh, all the money was really going, a lot of money was going into case management and, you know, ha- helping people with AIDS to, you know, find housing or just to get by another day. Um, and sure. so, so it was, you know, and it was difficult being, working in the education department, I think consciously and unconsciously on the part of a lot of the case managers, you know, there was this sort of like, what, what the fuck do you guys do? You know, like you're out, you're out at bars at night giving people condoms, go fuck yourselves. You know, we're actually like cleaning up people's vomit and watching our clients die every day. You know, I mean, at, I mean, at that time, working at Aid Services of Austin, you know, they had a Dia de los Muertos event every Halloween because they lost so many people every year that they just simply couldn't find a mechanism to allow for the case managers to process that. And so every year they would just have a giant cry fest in the yeah. in one of the storage rooms, you know, where we all gathered to 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 honor the people that, you know, that had been lost that year. I mean, it was just such a massive, you know, loss at the time. It was just, it was, it was, it was hard to get your head around, you know. And so prevention looked like um, trying to destigmatize HIV, which isn't actually HIV prevention. True primary prevention is saying, hey, it's better to remain negative. This is, trust me, this is what you want. Um, you get to remain negative. You do not have to feel guilty about being negative. Um, you and here is how you can remain negative. Um, those messages didn't exist because they were, in many ways, they were an affront to, to people with HIV, or they felt that way anyway. You know, nobody wanted to 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 hurt people's feelings or to you know, and no one could figure out how to develop those, the you know how to develop those nuanced forms of of messaging that were actually crucial at the time. And so so what you got was things like protect yourself and others, right? Um which is a you know it's a, when you really stop to think about that message, you know, what 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 is that? What do you mean? You know, like protect myself from you know, okay, well to protect myself, okay, fine, from HIV, but what am I protecting others from if I don't have HIV? So you know, it, these blended messages that just sort of, you know, tried to, you know, that that were that served to blanket um, communities of men who have sex with men um, with the notion that they should be using a condom um, were what prevailed for, you know, for a long time. And at the very beginning of the epidemic, that made sense. Condoms were foreign to gay men. They were what straight people used to prevent from getting, you know, prevent pregnancy. So, it, it, we, you know, we we... we you know, we we understood that for gay men running or us our running around saying you got to use condoms was really needed to be repeated quite a lot because it was a foreign concept to them. But once that message took hold, we you know we never we never evolved our messaging, and so uh, the messaging was always you know about you know use a condom. And I would watch. I mean, I'm not even kidding, Brendan. I'm not even kidding when I say this. I would watch HIV prevention. People go out in the community, give a demonstration on, for example, how to put a condom on, you know, how to cheek a condom. Um, 
you know, and then maintain in this group of, at this, you know, at a gay bar on a Saturday night, maintain that you should be using condoms for oral sex. And, you know, five drinks later, that very same prevention guy was out in the alley sucking dick after dick with no condom in sight. And everybody, you know, everyone was aware of this business. We were all aware that, that there was a party line Right, you were told, you were like, oh, I only use condoms. Like, condoms every time. Da, da 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 da. And then we all knew that what then what happened is we would, you know, we would use substances or find some other way to rationalize um, the relaxing of those protocols because we weren't allowed to do that in any sober kind of way because, um, you know, I couldn't say, for example, uh, okay, I'm going to definitely use condoms if I'm being penetrated but I'm not going to use them if I'm penetrating. Now, that is a harm reduction measure. That's a risk reduction measure. Um, I'm, it's not, it's not a, it's, I'm not a proponent of that necessarily, but what I'm saying is, you know, that that's a decision that, that the individual needs to be able to make. And they feel that everything is all, has all the same level of risk, then, then what you, what you are setting up a false choice for these men. And that is, Right. Either participate in HIV prevention activities or don't. And that is not, that's not accurate. You know, there are a thousand things in between that. Even if I were to say I'm going to suck dick to the cows come on, but I'm not using condoms for it, but I will absolutely use barriers for anal intercourse. You know, that, that frankly, that's how I survived the epidemic. Um, you know, I mean, I, I you know, I, like that, I think that's a, a very reasonable protocol, but I remember in my early 20s having, un, you know, quote, unprotected oral sex with someone. And, you know, for a year I was in a panic that I had contracted HIV. I mean, there was no evidence that I had. You know, I just, I was absolutely, uh, I, I, you know, I couldn't go to sleep without a television on all night long because I couldn't, I couldn't quell the terror that I had definitely exposed myself. You know, I, just because I sucked a dick, you know, like that's, yeah. that's insanity. So, yes, I do believe that we contributed to, um, you know, a whole huge group of people who said, well, fuck you. I mean, you're, you know, not, nothing you're telling me is realistic. Plus, I see, I see a lot of, you know, there are a lot of holes in what you're telling me. Um, and so I'm, and, and I'm just not willing to make that kind of compromise. So I guess if my only choice is to get HIV, get HIV then I'll be, I'll become what, you know, whatever, you know, whatever the terms at the time, you know, bug chaser people were throwing around or, or, you know, I mean, I've never really truly been able to, uh, to get inside the head of someone who just decided, eh, fuck it, you know, I don't, I'm just not going to care. I'm going to go ahead and have, um, you know, unprotected sex or bareback sex. I'm a barebacker or I'm looking for bareback. I've never, never quite gotten my head around that, um, personally speaking. Um, but I can certainly understand, I think, where, where people made those choices. Um, you know, light of, I, you know and, and you know, given that there's a lack of anything else. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was you know, I think um from my own experience, I definitely I think like the the all or nothing messaging when I was a kid, no matter what the sexual encounter I had or what level of protection I used, I would spend and when I'm I'm saying like my teens and early twenties, I would lay awake in bed all night, shivering, mm-hmm. sweating, like my stomach and knots. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still have performance issues, like, wrapped up in that shit, you know, like, still, to this day, 
Like, right. I'm, right. And I'm, I'm nearly 35, and I've been positive for the better part of a decade. There is a part of me that, especially after I zero converted, I totally understood why guys would want to. Because mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. the one good thing about getting mm-hmm. HIV is you're not afraid mm-hmm. of getting HIV anymore. Right. And that I mean, there were those, yeah. It's so crippling. And yep. another, like, a, just a comment on something you said just a second ago. I think it was incredibly naive of us, and I mean, not you and me specifically, but us as a prevention community, to expect, especially that second generation of um, activists, which you probably fall into, those, like, late 80s, early 90s AIDS activists. Yeah. Who... Like the amount of PTSD they were dealing with. Yeah. And I, I can think of off the top of my head five activists from that generation that I really respect and admire who zero converted yeah. while being activists, while, you know, presenting these messages because you know, not to speak for them, but my you know, like my my sense is that it was you know, you're watching your friends die, and you're watching your friends zero convert, and, like, you feel helpless, and then you go out and get wasted, and you just want to mm-hmm. feel connected. And um, can I, you know, I, I mean, uh, you, you bring up such a good point. <laughs> there was some research done that showed that people's anxiety levels plummeted once they zero converted. And, um, you know, we talked about this quite a lot at the time because it, it did seem ironic that there was this almost this sort of vitriol aimed at HIV negative men. And then there was this, you know, there was, there were support services and an open, you know, oh, it's okay. It's not your fault. Come. We, you know, we have groups and especially in, remember in the eighties and nineties, it wasn't, you know, this wasn't a favorable climate for gay people, um, by any stretch, especially after the advent of HIV. Um, so, you know, for there to be spaces for gay men to be openly and warmly welcomed and invited in and accepted for who they are, despite perceived mistakes, right? Um, you know, that was a very appealing thing. And, you know, and many people conjectured on the unconscious um, role that that played in people's zero conversion, you know, possibility that people unconsciously were seeking out zero conversion in order to enjoy that kind of um, a belonging because it certainly didn't exist for you if you were HIV negative. And so oh, really? I read a book called uh, In the Shadow of the Epidemic by Walt Odets. He's the son of the famous playwright Cliff Odets. Um, and he posited, you know, on the predicament of gay men in the 90s at suffering from PTSD. And, uh, and he and I began a friendship, which... Uh, we, we've maintained to this day, but um, he's actually writing the, the follow-up to the book um, as we speak. But uh, I started an, a support group for HIV-negative men out of AIDS services of Austin. And, Brendan, I got death threats. Yeah. People, um, three HIV-positive men, one of whom worked for the local um, AIDS service, the Latino uh, serving, uh, Latino population serving AIDS organization in Formosita, um, he, three men of HIV cornered me in the parking lot of a bathhouse that had just opened up in Austin um, with whom I was attempting to develop a relationship so that we could supply condoms and education um, within those that setting. And they cornered me and threatened 
you know, me bodily harm because they felt, you know, what I was doing was was outrageous and it's such a terrible affront and how could you, how could you come and support this bad house? This is how I was infected. How dare you, you know, how dare you make a space for HIV negative men, to, you know, that's so insulting. But, but no one was supplying anything, not even, not even a, 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 a sound bite that was specifically for HIV negative men, much less support services for someone to come and talk about how they cope with the overwhelming terror by using substances that actually place them at greater risk. And that brings us really beautifully to the I Like to Party prep campaign. You know, it's no mistake that stimulants and disinhibitors like cocaine and crystal meth are so popular among gay men when we, you know, we've not really allowed them ever a space to feel confident in their sexuality. Um, so why not borrow some from some substances? This is why we're drawn to alcohol and things, because because we want to feel a little bit better. We want to be able to have sex that's enjoyable and fulfilling without being constantly, chronically plagued by terror and concern for our partner or concern for ourselves. So it, it seems to me like the wine scenes of the world, you know, blaming PrEP on top of blaming individuals who are coping with substances, how that is considered HIV prevention is truly beyond me. You mentioned AHS, and I should totally pick up that segue, but I'm, I'm going to leave it laying there for a second. Because I wanted to say that, you know, coming out, I came out in 96, I was 16 years old. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, it felt like... You know, growing up in, I, I grew up in San Diego. I would like, I would run around in Hillcrest, the gay area. There was like this all night coffee shop called Euphoria that my friends and I used to hang out at. It was right next to Rich's, which was the big sushi gay bar. And we'd wait till it got out at two in the morning and totally hit on older guys. <laughs> and, but I remember feeling, I guess how like the Romans must have felt, like the citizens of Rome in the 5th and 6th century. Like I was wandering around the ruins of a once great civilization that just wasn't there anymore. AIDS decimated gay institutions, the gay community, and all it left was an HIV, you know, like all of the institutions that got built in its ruins were about HIV. And in that way, we really did, you know, we left HIV negative guys with nothing like Mm -hmm. no community no culture no no like no mentors i had to learn how to be gay on the internet right oh i wish i had had the internet man oh my god no one taught me shit (laughs) you know i mean i have you know you know that joke i have about how at that time i tasted my own oh god i keep forgetting i'm being recorded but you know that joke i that stage (laughs) that stage joke i have you know that i was I was curious about my body, and I tasted my own semen, and, uh, you know, uh, of course it was delicious, as I expected, you know, or something, but um, but I had, I was, I, I thought that I gave myself HIV. That was real. I, re- I really thought that, I mean, that was all the kind of misinformation. That, I know, I know, I know, I know. I was, I was like, oh, well, I, I was like 14. <laughs> I, 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 you know, no, I, the misinformation was so bad. It was so bad. And, um, <clears throat> so I was, I thought that I had, in fact, I really thought that HIV was generated or spontaneously generated by gay activity. I thought it was the act 
kids that produce HIV. And I think that's really telling, you know, uh, for a 14-year-old to, um, you know, I think it's really telling about how, how HIV gets internalized, that it's, that it's, that there's some, you know, mysterious, um, not, not benevolent force who's saying, who's deciding that just the act of, just, just by virtue of the behavior, you are for actually producing a lethal virus. I mean, that's, it's amazing that I could have ever thought that. Um, and so obviously pre-internet, you know. I want to talk about um, AHF for a minute. In the middle of January this year, they filed a complaint with the FDA alleging that the J.D. Phoenix I Like the Party video violated the FDA's regulations about advertising pharmaceuticals. They said, I want to quote them, Gilead paid for an ad that violates FDA guidelines for PrEP by promoting off-label use of the drug by encouraging situational rather than daily PrEP for those who, and then in quotes, like to party. Um, what do you make of AHF's complaint? Well, um, I mean, it's patently false, obviously. it's If you watch the video, um, there's just simply no no truth to it. Um, uh, you know, it's very clear that um, J.D. Phoenix is adhering to a regimen. Um, you know, this is not off-label use. Off, in fact, saying time to press. Yes. yes, a daily alarm goes off saying time to press. Now, we do see that he is on grinder when that alarm goes off. <laughs> <laughs> Just another... Just another filmmaking flourish on our part to really to, to really hammer it home that it really does not matter who you are or what you are doing. You deserve to remain HIV negative if you choose to. That being considered slutty does not mean that you are relegated to you know being uh, infected with HIV uh, and managing it for the rest of your life. Um, so JD is on grinder at the time. Uh, his alarm goes off. He picks up a seven-day pill dispenser. He holds up a pill um, you know, that falls out of this. And so, you know, it's it's very very clear that what JD is saying is I I am adhering to a regimen, and so can you. All, all of the films that we make, we try to employ behavioral science. So behavioral science theories, which are sort of these prescriptions for how we can get people to modify their behaviors or adopt new ones. Um, these these scientific principles are used in commercial marketing as well. Um, uh, you know, in, in many ways, they you know they they simply lay out a formula that says you know if you if you if you do this you know if you satisfy these sort of components you know then give you'll give someone um, you know you'll give the consumer a more critical. Um, view of the issue or the product or whatever it is you're trying to sell. Now, we're not actually trying to sell or promote PrEP. Um, what we are trying to do is encourage the consumer to consider whether or not PrEP is right for them. And so in uh, the call to action is go to the New York City Department of Health website that gives you more information on PrEP and can help you find a provider if you need assistance paying, et cetera. So in this particular case, you know, we're using social learning theory, which essentially says that through, you know, observational learning, a model can sort of bring forth new ways of thinking and behaving. Um, uh, you know, television has sort of has helped contribute to how 
people see their social reality for a very long time. And so J.D. in this case is the model. Um, he is both a star, uh, a young man, and, and, and a young man who admittedly enjoys partying. Um, so he seemed the perfect model for reaching out to a target population who may be using substances or, you know, whether that's, whether that's crystal meth or cocaine or simply alcohol. I mean, you know, I know that we love to talk about the relationship between HIV incidents and crystal meth, but, you know, let's talk about alcohol for a minute <laughs> and its role in uh, the number of seroconversions that have taken place since the 80s. Um, it's, it's in, uh, you know, a part of the term partying, you know, is sort of a catch-all term to refer to, you know, people coping with, uh, you know, people using drugs and alcohol. Now, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of hearing myself as I say this, and it's interesting to hear myself refer to gay men as using substances to cope, right? Whereas if we were talking about the young men on Jersey Shore um, or any young 20-something gay man who – I mean, I'm sorry, any any 20-something straight man whose sole purpose in life seems to be uh, getting laid, <laughs> you know, um, that young men – very typically, young men do do like to party, and as such, they are expose themselves to greater risk of drunk driving or I mean, you name it, right? Um, in this case, we're talking about HIV. So, what we're trying to do is use a model that the target population can relate to, so that we can communicate without judgment that people who admittedly like to party are capable of ad adhering to a regimen. I mean, it, you know, that was one of the big, that's one of the biggest things we've always, you know, we've heard about PrEP, or one of the biggest criticisms we've heard is that, you know, these, quote, these men, you know, these these partiers, they'll never be able to manage taking a pill a day. Now, that's why JD at the very beginning of the video, along with a, some condoms and his keys, grabs a small packet of pills. In that packet is an extra Truvada pill, so that in case he finds himself sleeping out over at someone else's house or, you know, if he's maybe he's going to a party for a couple of days, who knows, at least he's got his pills, right? So we're, we're modeling a way that young men who party can adhere to this regimen. It's not rocket science. And so, you know, Weinstein's accusations are you know, just clearly um, have no basis in reality because I think the video very clearly um, illustrates what I've described. Um, what do you make of the arguments that I've seen made many times on the internet that the the crystal meth use in uh, the gay community is a first order problem, that that is a problem that needs to be addressed before HIV and that anything quote-unquote promoting or quote-unquote glamorizing uh, drug use is um, is, is immediately beyond the pale. It's interesting because I have yet to see how our critics are attempting to address the, the problem and the issue of crystal meth use among this target population uh, in any way that's constructive um, other than to, to judge them and to shame them. I think it's paramount that we find some way to address this issue. I don't, I, I've been in HIV prevention for a long time and I, I don't see nearly enough being done about this problem. 
And so I would certainly agree that it's it's incredibly important, but I don't feel that our efforts to expose this population to this innovation are standing in the way of those efforts, um, nor do I feel that our piece glamorizes um, drug use. You know, it, it it is always challenging when when marketing to find ways to trigger the sort of the salience meters of the target population without looking like we're pandering or condoning or whatnot. I mean, you know, you see, it's it's, it's really interesting actually to see the shape that commercial advertising has taken um, over the last few years with the advent of new media, and you see people you know, on their phones, at the breakfast table, and everyone's, you know, on social media, but, you know, Kellogg's Corn Flakes is the thing that brings them all together, you know, I mean, it, there, there's so many ridiculous tropes, you know, that you, that, you know, that commercial advertising uses that I find, personally, I find, you know, insulting, I mean, I, you know, and as a gay man, I'm not even marketed to that much, that often, that directly, I mean, I guess there was... Not enough, you have a kid, and you want to buy pasta. <laughs> <laughs> what show was it Though that, what was it? Oh, God, I wish I could remember. Maybe it was RuPaul's Drag Race or something. You know, the, there was just these insane ads for, you know, rough, rough, nasty boy underwear or something. I can't remember. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, the, you know, the, the problem of having, you know, the, the problem of being marketed to is an age old one. Um, you know, teens experience this, you know, it's, you know, the, you know, marketers do their very best. Um, now, we're not selling a product. We're not trying to get people to buy some piece of plastic shit they don't need. You know, we're trying to inform people about a life-saving innovation. And so what we're doing is, is you know, what, we, what, I, what I think was really smart about the what we've done is, is we, we chose JD to do that, who is, who, who is very vocal about his own struggle with crystal meth, um, he, uh, you know, this is not a man who who would ever um, promote or condone the use of crystal methamphetamine, and it, he's very clear that it has been something he struggled with for many years. So it, it was very purposeful to use JD um, in this setting because this is a person who's very ambivalent about his own relationship to the pornography industry, HIV, and drugs, and therefore promotes critical thinking and discourse about this issue. That's all we're trying to do is promote discourse about this issue and to allow members of the target population to determine whether or not this is something that feels right for them. You know, I, I don't see what Weinstein's doing about the crystal meth problem. I would love to see him addressing it in some meaningful way, but all I really see him doing is shaming and finger-wagging. I'm... Glad that you talked about Weinstein's messaging because the HL Care Foundation generates a lot of content, supposedly testing and uh, prevention messaging. You see it in billboards all over Los Angeles. Like you can't to live in Los yeah. Angeles is to be saturated by HF messaging. So I know I, I was exposed to them when I was out there for the comedy show, and I, I just uh, you know my jaw was on the ground every time I drove by one of those billboards. Well, I remember when you and I met in my office when I still uh, worked for French. Oh, yeah. We had a conversation about you had hopes that you might be able to work with the Healthcare Foundation and bring some uh, metrics of, um, you know, like, to 
measure the success of campaigns or the failure. That's right. And, uh, <laughs> I guess, I guess, like, how did that pan out is a silly question. But, uh, <laughs> but I can't think of a better person to ask this question, which is, what do you think the responsibilities of, an, uh, of, of a large organization or any really organization involved in game and health? What kind of uh, obligation do you think you have if you are delivering prevention and testing messaging to gay men? Um, well, I guess I'm asking you, what is the right way to go about it and what is the wrong way to go about it? When supplying HIV prevention messaging and services to gay men? Yep. That's, that goes back to the conversation of the use of sound behavioral science in these approaches. There, there are all kinds of gay men. Right. There are, or, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I still embrace the term men who have sex with men. Um, you know, I, I, I still think that that term makes sense because the term gay is, for starters, very white. There are a ton of cultural determinants that do not allow men who have sex with men to identify with that. Um, sure. And I think that, that, you know, there are a lot of heterosexual men who, who also have sex with men. And bisexual men who don't Absolutely. identify... Yeah, I'm a, I'm a right. big believer that gay is a gay is a culture that was born out of early industrial capitalism mm. in London and and Berlin essentially. You know, it is a, yes, right. It, yes. it is a very specific Western European born right. way of looking at the world. I and, could not and agree I'm more. Always, I was like, I get so irritated with like. <laughs> like my 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 friends who are like, oh, he sucked the guy's dick that one time. Well, he must be gay. Like, really? Right. Because I've had sex with a bunch of girls, and I'm pretty sure I'm not even bisexual. <laughs> like not even a little bit. Like I am I am a homosexual. Right. So so to say like what do gay you know what do gay men need or even what do men as men need? Well, you know there are a lot of different types of uh, men who could benefit from sound HIV prevention information and guidance. You know, there are the folks that we like to think of as gay, um, and then there are a million other variations. And um, So it really depends on who you are targeting. Now, uh, you know, it, it became very clear to us early on as we started doing our development and formative work to develop the three campaigns um, with Public Health Solutions um, for Gilead that uh, that we had to be very thoughtful about which of these target audiences we wanted to reach. Um, it, it became clear to us that, for lack of a better term, this worried well that many of them were already aware that PrEP existed. You know, some of them were on PrEP. Um, that, and we met with a group of infectious disease doctors in a hospital uptown in Manhattan, and, and they all just unequivocally said, listen, what you need to do is tell them then that we actually see come in here. Um, they need to know that PrEP exists. And so it just made sense to us to find a way to create messaging that was very specifically for men who have sex with men who may not identify as gay, um, as well as men who are partying, um, which again is sort of a catch-all term for the using substances, drinking a lot, and and um, you know, you and and using those substances to facilitate sexual experiences. Mm -hmm. um, so, so in terms of what 
they need or what you know what anyone needs i think the only thing that, you do, that i think you could universally say that people really need is a sense that you care so some something that telegraphs that uh compassion for the intended target audience um and understanding for where this piece of media finds them um as opposed to traditional approaches that seek to scare or shame or judge people into desired behaviors. You know, I mean, I've spent a lot of time doing this. I've spent a lot of time doing and thinking about this. And it seems to me that that is clearly the best way um, to reach people is is to not alienate them. I mean, it it just sort of makes sense. You know, don't don't call them names or, um, or... uh, imply that what they're doing is their fault or that they're bad or that, you know, or that, or that they risk being ostracized. Like, don't do those things and you'll probably be more effective. You know, also social learning theory really builds this in, you know, into the, into its sort of matrix is, you know, this, you take a non-judgmental approach to provide people with just facts. You know, I mean, I, like I was, we were talking about the beginning of our conversation. I work a lot with teens and, People are very used to talking to teens in a very top-down, sort of hierarchical manner. You know, do this, don't do that. Um, you know, it, it, people try to sh- scare them. Um, you know, showing showing young people, you know, horrible graphic pictures of of you know pustules on on labia, and, you know, that kind of thing as a as a means of getting them to, to alter their behavior isn't really effective. It's never really proven that effective. Um, so, you know, so I, so this is true for them as well, that if you can show them that you understand what circumstances they are dealing with, they are more likely to listen to you and trust you. And I think that's what we did. You know, I think that's what we certainly attempted to do. And I think what's also really important is that primary and secondary prevention be separated, that if, you know, if you are attempting to reach men who do not have HIV, um, that messaging should be very, very specific to that population. If you are attempting to reach men who do have HIV, that messaging needs to be very specific to that population. So those things are, I think, obviously just really important foundational aspects to providing people with the tools you know, cognitive and otherwise they need to to think about how to survive this epidemic. And what do you think of AHS messaging in general? I mean, I could provide you some specific examples. Of would you? Um, would that be would that. First off, there's one where the image is like a volcano, like the old Dianetics cover, and it just says syphilis <laughs> explosion. Oh, God. If you Google Mm -hmm. AHS billboard, the images that it gives you are pretty... uh, Ah, here we go. (laughs) What? God loves me. Oh, my God, look at that. Oh, I mean, these are all moral panics. You know, it's, you know, like this one that depicts Tinder. You've got the word chlamydia written on over a silhouette of a woman. And the word Tinder over the silhouette of a man. I, I honestly don't even know what the message is here. Tinder, chlamydia. There's another one. There's another one. Tinder, chlamydia. That doesn't even, that's not even a good tagline. I don't know what that means. Except, except that it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very clear that like, you know, this is the kind of thing that when you, when, 
when your grandmother hears the term Netflix and chill, decides we're all going to hell in a handbasket, right? Because, you know, because it's just, it's, it's another in a long line of indicators that the world is not the place it was when you were a child, and that terrifies you, and you need to terrify others in order to cope with that. Um, you know, people have been saying, I'll pick you up for the movie at 7 for a really long time. And we all know that that means we're going to fuck tonight. <laughs> you know, movies, you know, Netflix and chill is just an urban, youthful, urban way of characterizing that. And, and so, you know, the fact that Tinder is now on the scene does not warrant a, a, an entire billboard that has nothing but the words Tinder and chlamydia on it. To, I guess, you know, and, and now if, if what you're saying is, hey, some research has come out that shows that there's a, a correlation between it, a rise in incidents of chlamydia uh, and Tinder, then let's share, let's, then let's have that discussion. But don't insult me. I also, like, you know, there's also this why not billboard with just a condom. Why not? Uh, why not? Uh, <laughs> no, are you like, really like, asking I, me? I, I see you that really? one. I see that yeah. one, and I immediately start thinking of reasons why not. Like, like yeah, if anything, right. you're 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 really making me consider seriously not wearing a condom. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, the one that really I mean, makes me mad is uh, is you, you should see it right along the top is trust him? Question mark. Oh, I was when, just like, about the, to talk about that. A couple in bed, and yeah. one is the one in the the foreground has a real guilty look on his face, and then his partner mm-hmm. is like sitting up in bed behind him, looking down on him suspiciously. Right. <sighs> It's so insulting. This is not a new concept. Um, uh, you know, the the notion that gay men are not to be trusted because they are sex-crazed fiends who lie and never develop a strong enough interpersonal connection with someone to be honest with them has been at the root of HIV prevention for a very long time. Disregarding negotiated risk is born out of this, right? Like that I could, that my partner and I could go get tested together and, and decide to not use condoms because we're in a monogamous relationship or because we have some agreement about, you know, about what this means. Like, you know, that might, that might be, oh, you know, if you're, if you're going to have sex with someone else, you have to use a condom or you're only allowed to have stand-up sex or oral sex or things that won't put me at risk. You know, there, there are all kinds of agreements that gay men make in their personal lives that really are nobody else's fucking business. You, I mean, of course you've read Faggot by uh, Larry Kramer, right? Yeah. There's, there's a, a, a line in there where he, 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 Larry Kramer even says like something to the effect of even within a, a monogamous relationship, you should keep using condoms because mm-hmm. you don't really know what your partner is doing. Right. Right. And um, <laughs> that really broke my heart as a kid. Like, I was, yeah. like, 18, I think, when I read that, or 19, 20 even. And I was working in a, a bookstore, and I picked it up, and I was flipping through it. And I think, like, if I had any awareness of Larry Kramer at all, is that he was, like, some 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 great gay hero that I didn't really know what he did, you know? And right. just to his own disdain for our people was incredibly yeah. disheartening to me. I'm with you. And, I, you know, and, and that, it's just it, what we're talking about is internalized homophobia. 
I delivered a paper or a um, a presentation at the Texas Department of Health Conference on AIDS in Austin in 1995 called um, How uh, Internalized Homophobia Has Impacted Prevention for Gay Men or something along those lines. Um, and it was about just this, that while I, on its face it makes sense that gay men would be involved in the construction and delivery and dissemination of um, messaging for other gay men about HIV, I think what we did not take into account is just how eager gay men are to regurgitate and aim, you know, turn turn back around the kinds of psychic mistreatment that they have endured their whole lives by creating this type of messaging and by suggesting that gay men are are not capable of making their own choices. I mean, again, I see this with teens. You know, I have a bunch of programs you know, in the workshop series that teach teenagers and the people that work with those teenagers how to conduct social marketing properly. Our very initial activities are to allow teams to, you know, to go out and create a piece of media that is designed to educate their peers about safer sex, services at Planned Parenthood, um, STDs, HIV, that kind of stuff, right? And Brendan, invariably, what they submit to us in, uh, initially are, you know, these messages that are so laden with judgment and finger-wagging and scare tactics because they have to unlearn what has been done to them, you know, their whole adolescence. They have to learn how to think outside of that paradigm, of that dichotomy, of either, you know, just being a good boy or being a bad boy, right? You know, that those are illusions and you know, elements that don't belong in this type of messaging. And, you know, and then eventually the youth start developing messaging that is inspiring or that really gets people's attention because it's so respectful. That's what we need to do for gay men, and that's what gay men need to do for other gay men. But all too often, they just turn it right back around on the people, you know, because it, it feels good, right? It feels better to be the guy wagging your finger than to have the finger wagging in your face, right? Um, it's just power turned on its head. It's the flip side of the same coin. It's as old as the Sanford experiments. This is human nature. When we're mistreated, we feel compelled to perpetuate that mistreatment onto others. Um, it's, it's, you know, it defines our relationship with young people. We can't wait till we get old enough so we can boss around young people. And when you come into a, a setting where you're trying to empower young people with that attitude, it's not going to work. And the same is true for gay men. What you see also is, in addition to that Tinder one, is, you know, is grinder. I see grinder and gonorrhea, right? So there's no copy that goes with this. I don't see any copy that says, you know, that takes any research or any. It's just, just an effort to equate gonorrhea with a new media-based tool that men are using to facilitate sexual encounters. Now, let's talk about this because... The days where we were relegated to public parks, the bushes, you know, you want to talk about um, safety issues. Uh, there was a lot more to worry about than just gonorrhea during those times. Now, this is your grandmother's moral panic resulting from the advent of a way of facilitating sexual encounters that is clearly not going anywhere. It's not like they said about the TV that it's a fad and that uh, and the radio that it's no you know you know grinder is not going anywhere. And so if your job as a giant organization 
is to reach the gay male population. How in the world are you going to do that effectively when you pit yourself against, you might as well come out against Apple, you know, and blame Apple for gonorrhea. Why not have a per picture of, you know, remember those old ad campaigns with the white headphones and the silhouette? Why don't, how about we just have some guy dancing around and have it say gonorrhea? Get off your phone because it's going to give you gonorrhea. You know, smartphones aren't going anywhere. New media technologies that allow people to negotiate for safety through the, um, all kinds of safety, mind you. You, you've, you've set yourself up as the voice of antipathy. You know, I don't see how you can expect to be successful. And, and these themes permeate every single billboard I'm looking at. Yeah. I have a, a deeply ingrained resentment towards wasted space and uh, misapplied resources. Like when I was living in San Francisco and I'd see an empty lot with weeds in it, I'd always get so mad because, like, <laughs> why? <laughs> that is three homes for families of five right there. Like, why, right, why is right. that space empty? And um, to have so much money... <sighs> And spend it on on marketing that right. seems not right. only like ineffective but counterproductive. This only works because the notion that you should feel ashamed for for having know, an STD, that, right, that, is that still is, present, right. And, and again, I mean, this is, you know, when this is the foundation you're working with, you know, you're, you're, you're every single piece of your messaging works from you, you know you, you don't you don't help anybody you know you spend you waste a lot of money that could go toward i don't know helping people pay for fucking prep <laughs> I mean, there are a million right. things i could do with this billboard money i think that would be much more effective than this other than branding yourself as a bunch of assholes who you know who who <laughs> who hate themselves and and everybody else you know and, and gay men crazy. If you, if you really want to educate, I mean, this it's funny because, I mean, this kind of comes full circle with everything we're talking about. But if you really want to educate people, you cannot make them feel bad. You can't make them feel like shit um, just straight out of the gate. I mean, you know. Yeah. Nobody <clears> ever wants anybody over by right. calling them an asshole. <laughs> right. Um, right. Hey, Kenny, uh, I <laughs> cut this short because I could, I could talk to you for like a whole other hour about this. But um, me too. the little voice in my head is telling that, <laughs> me that my headphones are dying. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Any time. I, I, it's such a pleasure to talk to someone who's so smart and fun as you. I, I truly do just adore you. And I would love to see you whenever you're in town. I hope that, uh, I hope that your, your life is good and that you're well. And, and thank you so much for reaching out to me. Yeah, my, oh, well, thank you for talking to me. And um, I adore the shit out of you as well. I think so. <laughs> Good. Thanks. Thank um, you. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. And there you have it. You can learn more about Kenny, his comedy, and his activism on his Facebook page, Kenny Neal Schultz. And if you like the show, consider rating us and leaving a comment on iTunes. Until next time, this is Brendan Shuka signing out.